Now, if we have not met before, my name is uh, James. I'm on staff here at the church. Um, I'm just going to ask you to kind of bear with me because I'm a little tired. We had about 28 men go to uh, the men's conference on PEI uh, yesterday, and it was a lot of fun. But Friday night, I think I got like two hours sleep maybe, but I could tell you who the loudest snorer in the church is. Uh, I'm not going to do that. But also, we also had... Um, I think about 19 youth uh, go to the one conference in Moncton uh, yesterday, and that, that was a lot of fun, they were saying. And so just uh, praise God for some pretty cool things that are taking place. Now, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Mark. We're going to kind of land there eventually. But um, a while ago, I was listening to a podcast, and it's hosted by a former lawyer. And the, the guest on that episode of the podcast that he had was a a practicing lawyer. And so as, as they kind of have this in common, they began discussing law and the legal system. And they were using terms and acronyms that like, I had no clue what they were saying. And so they would say, blah, 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 this term. And I go, I have no idea what this means. And they'd use an acronym and go, I don't know what that means. And they'd say another thing, go, I think I might know what this means. But at the end of it, I was going, I took nothing from this I, I, because I did not understand it. Now, the reason I share this is because we can be guilty of doing this in the church. Um, sometimes as Christians, it's, it's like we come through the doors of the church and then we think we have to change the way we talk and we, we start talking weird and in confusing ways. Um, but then there's other times where when we're teaching, we're talking about things, we're using words that we assume everybody understands, but in reality, they might not. And, and like we believe, let's use Bible words for Bible things, but let's try and do this in a way that is understandable uh, for everybody. Now today we're starting a series called Seeking the Lost. And one of the terms that we as Christians can use um, and, and assume that everybody's clear on this, right, is that term lost. When we use the word lost, we use it in reference to people. We say people are lost. And this is not a, a term that Christianity came up with and just started applying to people. This is a term that Jesus himself used. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And so what does it mean to be lost? Well, we would go back to Genesis chapter 3. And, and there you, you find that sin enters the world, creation uh, and creation, and, and sin separates um, humanity from God, that there's kind of th this distance that wasn't there before. And so this, this separation leads to a state of spiritual lostness where individuals are burdened by sin and its consequences. And so some of these consequences are, are guilt, it, it's brokenness, it's aimlessness, it's emptiness in regards to life. Now, please. Understand, I'm not saying that if, if somebody's lost, they don't know Christ, that they're miserable and they're like, ah, there's no point of life. And, and like, they kind of dive into nihilism and just like, ah, why do I even exist? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that when, when we are lost, we're to be spiritually separated from God. And that does have consequences on our lives and, and how we look at the world. Now, the beautiful thing that Christianity says, though, is the lost can be found. But when something's lost, and you know it's lost, you actually have to go and search for it in order to have it again. Like last weekend, uh, my, my daughter Jane, she's six, we were at her brother's baseball practice. We were just 
kind of killing time. And Jane didn't just want to sit there and, and watch the practice. And so we're wandering around the, like the, the field. We're walking through the parking lot back and forth. And, and after about like 45 minutes, she stops and she goes, my ring is missing. And, and she has this little plastic ring. It's, it's silver, but it's all tarnished and scratched. And I go, well, where do you think you lost it? And she said, I think it's in the parking lot. Now, this parking lot is a, a massive gravel parking lot. And so that ring is just going to blend in. She's like, we need to look for it. And so I was like, how about I buy you another one? Um, because it's like, it was a, a 25 cent ring. It, it's, it's like, I'll, 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 I'll splurge and I'll buy you a nice 50 cent ring. Like, it's not worth going and looking for this ring. It doesn't really have that much value. You got it out of a machine. But there was one time... Um, we were at a beach, and somebody had dug a deep hole in the sand, and our son Seth had noticed it. And so there was a bunch of adults there. I guess everybody was like, ah, Seth's their problem. Um, and we were kind of going, where's Seth? That, that Seth wasn't there. He had, he had wandered off, and he'd gone into this hole. But all we knew was that Seth is lost in that moment. And so we're, we're like, okay, we got to find him. And, and we don't quit searching until we find him. We weren't just like, eh, well, yeah, yeah. we'll have another kid. It's cool. Like, we, we, we didn't do that. It's like, we love Seth. He has value to us. And so we went and searched for him to go and find him. And so Jesus, he says, I've come to seek and save the lost. And what he's doing, he's like, you, you, I, I know you. I value you. I love you. I'm coming for you. I'm going to find you. I'm not going to abandon the search until I, 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 I have found you. And he wants to find us. And so Jesus says, I've come to save the lost. So how does Jesus save the lost? Well, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul, he writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, that, that, that word gospel, it's another one of these words that we hear a lot in the church. But if I were to go, okay, tell me what the gospel is, I think of a lot of us that would go, okay, I think I could. But if we, again, like, let, let's go one-on-one. -on -one. Tell me what the gospel is. And, and some people here would be like, it's a book in the Bible about Jesus. Some would be like, it's a genre of Christian music. There'd be others who would give like, here's a one word answer. Here's what the gospel is. And there'd be others like, I have a doctoral dissertation on what the gospel is. Would you like to hear it? No, not really. Um, and then there'd be others where it would just be like this blank, empty stare. It would be awkward as like, I, I actually don't know what it is. And we as Christians, we talk a lot about the gospel. And we use that word to describe a whole host of um, Christian or quasi-Christian activities and projects. And so books and programs and music and ministries and more, we, they get labeled as gospel-driven, gospel-centered. And, and kind of marketers, as they're kind of pitching to Christians, they go, we know the Christians like the gospel, and so let's, let, let's slap gospel on there and like they'll, they'll, they'll probably buy it. They'll, they'll, they'll probably go for it. Like I was on Amazon, I was, just, I was curious, like, what, what could I find? There's a holy gospel barbecue rub out there. So I want somebody to buy that, try it, and tell me if it's worth the money. Um, but part of the reason that we in the church can experience confusion as to what the gospel is, is, again, because it's been used in flex flexible ways, um, 
and it's been presented in, in, in ways that might not actually be kind of true to what scripture says. Like all the gospel talk that's going on can make us feel like we know the gospel when in fact we might not know it. So think, think of it this way. Um, maybe there's like a song that's been on the radio forever and we go, yeah, I know that song. And, and it's like, okay, here's the instrumental, sing it. And you're like, oh, I can't. Or like, it, it could be like, we're, we're kind of familiar with it. We think we know it. And so you're like you're driving in the car with your friend and, and they're like, we built this city on sausage rolls. And it's like, no, that, that, that's not it. It sounds delicious, but it's actually, we built this city on rock and roll. And, but it's like, again, we can be like, I think I know it. it it's, it's close enough. But the reality is this. Um, sometimes we take and we piece together things that sound good enough. It sounds close enough. And we might go, what's the harm if it's a little off? Well, Paul says that the gospel is the power of, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so if that's true, we want to make sure we get this right because close enough might not actually be close enough. Like Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, he, he says this of the gospel, that it's as of first importance so if we're going to seek and save the lost, which Jesus kind of goes, my mission is going to be your mission, in order to save them, we better be sure of what the gospel is because eternities hang in the balance. And from the very early days of the church, uh, the Apostle Paul and some of the other writers, like uh, the Apostle John, they warn of, of guys coming into the church and, and teaching and preaching a pseudo-gospel where it's close, but it's not exactly right. And so... The churches of Galatia, they'd been infiltrated by men who would travel from church to church, and they're going like, I'm a preacher, I bear the gospel, but what they preach is this legalistic, twisted version of the gospel, and so it leads the apostle Paul to write this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse beyond him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse beyond him. And notice how Paul just like, he says it again, and we're like, we get the point. But it's like, if it's repeated in scripture... It's important because Paul's going, there, there are, are, are fa false gospels out there, but these false gospels, they have real consequences. Paul's also saying, you know what, there's out there, there's, there's guys going like, I I'm a gospel teacher, but he's going, they're not actually preaching the biblical gospel. And Paul goes, here are the consequences of it. If you don't believe the real gospel, you're going to quickly drift into believing and sharing a different gospel. Bill Hole and Ben Sobels, they write in their book, The Discipleship Gospel, the, the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make. And so in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it, it warns us, pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Now, still today, there's, there's guys in churches who are preaching 
gospel messages that promise things that God never promised or they're emphasizing things that Jesus never emphasized. And so I would say this, they're taking things and they're, they're kind of like shoving it in the mouth of God and saying, this is gospel. And God's like, no, it's not. And so gospel imprecision, that's a widespread problem. And so we're not going to be exhaustive, but there are gospels out in the world that say, you know what? God just wants to forgive your sin. And if you let him forgive your sin, that's cool. And you can kind of keep doing your own thing afterwards. There's gospels out there that says, you know what? God just wants to make you great. He wants to build your kingdom. And he's going to give you whatever you need to help you achieve that. He's there to, to provide what you want. You just have to have enough faith and you'll get those things. There's gospels out there that sound so much like a political agenda. And we might be going, yeah, you tell those people on the right. Or you might be going, you tell those people on the left. It goes both ways. There's, there's, there's gospels of liberalism. There's, there's gospels of conservatism. There's gospels out there that say God only loves certain people. That his grace would only be offered to certain people. And we, we could spend a lot of time calling out some false gospels. Um, I could spend some time going like, here's some guys I just, I don't recommend listening to their teaching, but what I'm going to do is I want to present the, the gospel as Jesus taught it as we find it in scripture so that we can distinguish what is true from what is false. Now, Christians did not invent the word gospel. We think of it as a religious word, but it was actually a political word uh, to, to begin with. The English word gospel it finds its uh, root in the Greek word euangelion, which basically means good news. And the ancient idea of gospel or good news is it's a declaration. And so in ancient times, euangelion was an announcement of victory or celebration. It would be proclaimed throughout the streets of the empire for all to hear. So in Rome, you would have these gospel heralds, these gospel messengers that they would go from town to town and they would go, good news, we've won the war. Good news, the emperor has gotten engaged. Good news, uh, the emperor's wife bore him a son. There's, there's an heir. The line's going to continue. And so the announcement was made so that people could celebrate. They could rally around their ruler. Now, scholars believe that it was John Mark, the, the guy who wrote the gospel of Mark, who first used the term gospel in relation to Jesus. And so Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of, of, of Mark's book, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Mark, when he says the gospel, of, he's not going like, here's a book about Jesus. That, that's not what he's saying, here's the gospel or the beginning of the gospel. He's saying this is a good news declaration about Jesus Christ. And Mark, Mark's good news is that Jesus' life and teachings. He, he's sharing that. And Mark reveals Jesus' gospel clearly in two passages. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And some of you are going like, that's just your introduction. Oh no. Um, trust me, we're going to be okay. Like, uh, trust me, we'll, we won't be too, too long. Um, now, much of this morning's message is inspired by a, a book called The Discipleship Gospel by Bill Hull and Ben Sobels because they just do a really good job of, of kind of presenting this. Um, and I would, I would recommend checking it out if you want to know more. But uh, they, they go to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, and I'd encourage you to turn there. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And so in verse 15, Jesus going like, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. And this is kind of the major declarative announcement of Jesus' gospel. But with the announcement of this good news about the kingdom, there's also a response commanded by Jesus. He says, repent, believe the gospel, and follow me. So Jesus, he, he's preaching the gospel. He declares that God's kingdom is here, and then there's those commands. Repent, believe in the gospel, and follow me. And he makes it clear that the, the, this kingdom declaration demands a response. He makes a response to this kingdom declaration kind of essential that, that you can hear these declarative statements, these factual statements about the gospel, but if we don't repent, if we don't believe, if we don't follow him, we won't be saved. And, and again, some of us are like, I don't know if I agree with that, but, but think of it this way. Like this, this past week, your, your phone would be going off with those alerts. Like that, that sound would go off and we'd all like, oh, what is it? Where, where is it this time? Where's the wildfire? And it was kind of nerve wracking. But imagine you get the alert and it's like, oh, it's, I'm in the area where, where one of these fires is, is taking place. It's like, you, you need to get out. But if you go, nah, and you just like ignore the message, that message does not have the power to save you. It's like, it's, it's, it might be true, but you don't respond to it. And so what's it going to do? And so it, it's kind of the same way as this. Like, it's not enough that you believe some historical truths about Jesus. It's not enough to agree with some uh, theological truths about Jesus. Like, even Satan does that. Like, he's got that credited to his account. So it's, gotta, it, it's, it's more that, that, that we, we don't just believe it, we act on it. The gospel requires that we repent, believe, and follow Jesus. And the call to follow Jesus is, is another way of saying it. it's, it's a call to be a disciple of Jesus. And we define it this way, that a disciple is somebody who's following Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, who's committed to the mission of Jesus. That we follow him, we learn from his ways. And so this is, this is what Jesus is saying. Here's my gospel. The kingdom of God has come near and what does the, the kingdom of God mean? Well, it represents the rule and reign of God in creation, overall creation. It's a spiritual reality. It's experienced through, through, through relationship with God. So it's like a present reality in that if you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, the kingdom is present in your life as you are obedient to the king and you live the ways that he tells us to live. But it's also a future reality. That the kingdom of God is not yet everything that it can be. Like, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that part because if, if, it was like, if it was like the kingdom of God is a present reality fully, this is what it is, it would be a little bit disappointing, wouldn't it? Like there, there's something inside of you that looks at the world and longs and hopes and desires more than what we're experiencing right now in this world. And you know that there's got to be more than what you're experiencing to this. Now for two years, Jesus is preaching that God's kingdom is at hand. And he's going around, he's saying, you know, the kingdom of God, it's, it's like a pearl that's worth, like, going all in on. You sell all that you have to get this treasure. He says it's like a mustard seed, goes in the ground, it's very small, but it grows up to be big. He describes it as a feast or a banquet that everyone is invited to. Now, he's preaching this for two years, 
Just that, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. But then one day he asks his disciples a big question. So this is the second text in Mark. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. It says, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and some others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And we can easily miss the significance of this moment because we hear about Jesus Christ all the time. Like in, in here in worship and our Bible studies and devotions with Jesus Christ. Your, your coworker, your, your neighbor, they're, they're angry. They bust out the JC as well. They're taking his name in vain in that moment. But you, you hear it all the time. And, and we could go, Jesus Christ. Christ is his last name, isn't it? But it's actually a title. It's, it's an honorific title. It's saying that Jesus is, is in many ways, king. And, and so what happened is like all of a sudden, the, the disciples are like, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter's like, you're the king of the kingdom. And it, it clicks. And as soon as like this realization happens, it like triggers this change in Jesus's ministry and his message. Because just two verses later, um, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, you get this major gospel revelation moment where it says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So we we had the first declarative element, the kingdom of God is at hand, but then Jesus reveals three more in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He's going, I am the Christ, I will die, and I will rise from the dead after three days. And so Jesus goes, here's the specifics of how the kingdom of God has coming, or is coming. It's coming through me. And the good news of the kingdom, again, is that Jesus is, is here. That the kingdom is here. But Jesus says, before the kingdom fully comes, before I wear the crown, I'm going to bear a cross. And his sacrificial death and atonement for sin would make it possible for us to become citizens of the kingdom of God. That, that he would deal with the sin that separates us from God, that makes us lost. Now, Mark chapter 8, it doesn't, it doesn't specifically say this is a gospel passage, but if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear that this is, this is a gospel text because he shares what the gospel is there, and, and this is one of the best uh, texts we can have in regards to the gospel. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as of most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And so Paul's original readers, the Christians in Corinth, they understood that this was a brief gospel summary, that Paul was not excluding God's kingdom, repentance, belief, following Jesus from the gospel, because Paul talks about Jesus being the Christ. And so he's the king. And if he's a king, he's the king of a kingdom. And if you're going to be part of that kingdom, his word carries authority, that you will follow him, you will do what he, he commands 
So Paul's summary here, it appears to be something like a creed statement that the early Christians would have known. That they defined the gospel clearly so that they could share it and they would know when they had passed it along to others. It would also help them to know that's not gospel when a false teacher would come in. And so taking these two verses, we can see that there's four or seven main elements to Jesus' gospel. Four declarative statements. God's kingdom is here. Jesus is the Christ or the king of the kingdom. Jesus died for our sins, but that Jesus was resurrected on the third day. And so these are kind of the the gospel proper, the major facts, the major points of the gospel, but there's also three imperative responses critically connected to Jesus' declaration of the gospel. Repent of sin, believe the gospel, and follow Jesus. And so in essence, what the gospel is, is this narrative that tells us who Jesus is, what he's done, how he fulfills scripture, and how he calls us to respond to him. The gospel is is a biography, uh, the story of the saving king, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so the true gospel is always going to deal with the human sin problem, but it goes beyond sin. It has implications for the whole social order of the world and for creation itself. Now, I've, I've gone like, here are the seven elements, and here's some scriptures. You go, okay, you still haven't really defined what the gospel is, and so that's what we're going to do right here. And I pulled this from the discipleship gospel because I can't do a better job than these guys have done. And so we should have it up here on the screen. It says, the gospel is this. The kingdom of God has come through Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ, the King, God's one and only Son, He died on the cross for our sins and was buried and was resurrected on the third day, according to the scriptures. In his great love and by his amazing grace, God our Father saves everyone who repents of their sin, believes the gospel, and follows Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. When King Jesus returns on the last day, the great day of judgment, everyone who followed him will enter the eternal kingdom of God. Now there's there's one true biblical gospel but there's many different ways we can define that gospel using biblical language. But what response does, does the gospel ask? And, and Professor Matthew Bates, he kind of goes, you can summarize it in one word, allegiance or loyalty or fidelity to Jesus as king. And when we follow Jesus, he calls us to follow his, his commands, but also his example. And one of the things that Jesus commanded his disciples to do was to go out and make disciples, spread the gospel, teach them everything that he had taught, teach them to put it into practice. Now here's the thing, King Jesus, he doesn't let us pick and choose what aspects of his teachings we like or his commands we want to put into practice. Like I've read through the New Testament several times and I just don't find the spot where Jesus makes that optional. Like they're commands, they're not suggestions. Like Jesus doesn't take discipleship and treat it like this option that you, you can kind of use as an upgrade. Like there's, here's the salvation package. That's kind of base level. You might want to get on that. But if you upgrade, um, discipleship. Those are for the really committed ones. I like them a little bit better. Um, that's not what he does. It's like, here's your option, discipleship. That, that, that's what it is. And his gospel calls us to follow him no matter the cost, without conditions or excuses to the end. Like, think about it. You've been brought into the kingdom of God through Jesus. 
And so why would Jesus be like, you know what? You can still be king. You, you sit on the throne of your life. You do you. You have fun. You call the shots. Like, we got ourselves into this mess. I mean, like, how great are we at running our lives? Do you go, like, who's in charge here? And find out, it's like, you're the one who made the call that got you into the mess half the time. He had to come to our rescue to save us. He's not going to allow us to continue to sit on the throne of our life. Now, you might have noticed that this definition doesn't mention baptism. But one of the things that Jesus modeled and taught was that of baptism by immersion. And we're, we're going to look at a text here in a minute. But baptism could be understood as the premier initial way of confessing and embodying allegiance to Jesus as king. Like he tells us, if you're going to be my disciple, be baptized. When you make disciples, baptize them, then teach them. Like, I don't know if, like, why do we argue against what his word says? Like, it's allegiance. He says it, good enough, he's king. Now, the benefits of allegiance to Jesus include forgiveness of sins, righteousness, reconciliation with God, redemption, adoption, and future glory. And when you decide to follow Jesus, you enter into a new realm, his kingdom where his will is done. And following Jesus, I mean, again, it means that we, we don't just agree with what he says, we do what he says. And following Jesus comes with responsibility. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and following, it says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so what Jesus is saying is, you know, the spiritual realm, I'm in charge of that. The physical realm, I'm in charge of that too. Where can we run where Jesus doesn't have authority? You, you can't escape his jurisdiction. It's always there. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Make disciples. Share the gospel is what he's saying. And remember I am with you always to the end of the age. You're not doing this by yourself. I'm with you. It's our responsibility and privilege to be King Jesus' messengers announcing to the world that we have a king who sits on the throne, who rules over heaven and earth, and who is going to bring healing to the earth. This message is badly needed because we're living in a world that's hearing a lot of bad news and looking for hope. Now remember we said that the euangelion, that's a good news declaration meant to unify the people around the, the political leader who could promote and protect them. And in Core 52, some of our life groups have studied through that. Mark Moore, he, he says Christians adopted that term for that very reason. They wanted to exalt Jesus as king. That they were making a claim in direct opposition to Rome, Rome's claim that the emperor was the supreme ruler of the world. That the Christians were asserting a counter-narrative to imperial Rome's. And Mark's gospel, he, he begins with, with, by saying, like when he uses the word gospel, he, he's, he's addressing kind of the most challenging question that we face as individuals and as a society. Who's in charge? Who gets to be the boss? And we don't bow down to an emperor today, but there's plenty of things and people in this world that want to and we could allow to rule or dictate our life. It could be a government it could be in our, our employer, a career, a brand, a social media influencer. It could be a family member. It could be uh, money. It, it could be yourself. It could be anything. But here's the question. Have any of these wannabe rulers 
or bosses come looking for you because they value you, because they love you? Do any of them want you to follow them because of what they can give you or what because of what you can give them? Would any of them suffer and die for you? Can they actually protect you when it matters most? Like, I, I've been, like, just this, this past week with the wildfires, again, it's just like having conversations, man. Like, those 2020s, they, they just keep on delivering, don't they? Like, pandemic, we, we had a, a public shooting, wildfires, a, a hurricane. Like, I, I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I'm missing a few in there. But it's, just, it's like thing after thing after thing. And one of these things that we can go, a good thing that comes out of this is that it reminds us we're not nearly as in control as we think we are. All we have are Band-Aid solutions. And so don't you want somebody who has all authority over the natural and spiritual realm? That who do you want to be the boss? And so the gospel says there's a kingdom at hand and Jesus is and its king. And in his kingdom, no one will be lost. There will be no more tears. He will provide and protect those who choose to follow him. And so if you want to make Jesus your king, he's, he's told you what to do. Repent, believe the gospel, and follow him. If you want to make that step, we'd love to talk to you about that today. But the, the purpose of the church is to announce that Jesus is the king of kings, ruler of heaven and earth. The gospel is the good news that each of us can have our sins forgiven, but it's more than just good news for us as individuals. It's good news for us as, as people because he's making us a new nation, a new kingdom. So how do you help others experience the gospel's power? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in the remainder of this series, Seeking the Lost. But what I want to do, one of the things we're trying to do each week is like, here's a call to action. Here's a next step. And maybe you don't know the gospel or some of this is new. Or you, like if somebody were like, define the gospel, you'd be like, uh. What we want to do is, is, is to encourage you to familiarize yourself with it. And you don't have to use this, but we, we want to provide you with this gospel definition that we used here today. And the reason we want to do this, you might be going, it's not worth my time. Got too many other things. Not that important. If we don't know the gospel, we'll drift into believing other gospels we won't know what true gospel is. We won't be able to pass on what true gospel is. We won't be able to know if we've actually passed on what true gospel is. But when the first century church shared the good news of the kingdom, the gospel's power was unleashed. And the world was changed. It literally was changed as lives were changed. Like 300 years seems like a super long time, but in reality, it's not in history. And it's interesting, 300 years after Christ had ascended into heaven, 51% of the Roman Empire said that Jesus was the Christ. That the emperor himself said that Jesus is king of kings, Lord of lords. And that same gospel, it's still the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That same gospel can still change lives. It can still change the world.